Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. <laughs> it's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello. How are you? Good. My dear. How are you? I'm I'm good. I feel like you're not playing. I don't I don't know what the game is. Like we're go like we're ghosts. Oh. Because it's spooky because it's like Halloween. Okay. You that knew was, that that, that was, was ghost. Got it. Don't act like that wasn't <laughs> a spot on ghost. I just thought that we would keep the like the little taglines clean. Yeah, and, but then I forgot okay. what I normally said. You know, it doesn't take much to throw me off of. I don't know what it was. I uh, hello, my dear. What, what, yeah. okay. No, no. You say hello, my dove. And I say, hello, dear. Yeah, see? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm The memory's dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was actually a good one. Thank you. So it's Halloween. Indeed. We've talked about, what have we talked about? We talked about uh, bonfires. Mm-hmm. That's not so, I mean, it can be spooky. What did we talk about last week? Oh, my God. Ghost hunting. Ghost hunting, of course, paranormal investigations. But mm-hmm. this week, we're talking about the Victorian death process? The Victorian funeral. The from, Victorian so from, funeral. From the moment of death till the moment of burial and then the people behind, what they're supposed to do. Okay. They're, I mean, the, the thing is, there's so many rules <laughs> that we're not even going to cover all of the rules, but some of the best rules. Okay. So, wait. Is this one of those times, because the Victorian era seems to be a turning point in, like, not only a lot of cultural things, but mm-hmm. a lot of, like, industrial and economic things as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to go out on a limb, because we've done 6,000 episodes of Shanners at this point. Uh, yes, 6,000. That this, the reason there are so many rules is suddenly people were able to afford funerals, like, to like make a funeral a thing. Yes. And the business of funerals dates back to the Victorian period. Big funeral. Well, not just big, but so. No, I meant like capital B, capital F, the, uh, the industry. Uh, yes, 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 like okay. big pharma. I got it now. Yes. I got it. Yes, because funeral homes slash parlors, depending upon what region you're from, didn't exist. And. Until then. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb. Shouldn't. Okay. Just chuck them in the ground or burn them up real good, turn them into trees, something like that. Way better. Okay. But not for the Victorians. No. And I'll never die, so I don't have to worry about it for me. Don't have to worry about it. I'm just saying. Um, We would like to give a special shout out to uh, the YouTube channel, Ask a Mortician. Uh, Caitlin Doty is an incredible and entertaining source for all things macabre. Listen, I'm not saying there aren't reasons for a funeral, but, right. ah, okay. Okay. No, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to put the tag on the table and yell at it and express my feelings. What? So the, I put the tag on the table and yell at it? The tag on the table? The tiger on the table? The, the tiger. This, this okay. is one of those things where it's reached a point now where I don't know if it's a real thing or a thing we made up on My Brother, My Brother and Me to make fun of real things, but here we are. I think it is. So- the thing is, is before we even get into it, I do think that there are certain aspects of the modern day funeral process or whatever that are fine or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I also think there are aspects of it where it is 
capitalizing on people's grief. Oh, of course. To make like money off price of. gouging and yeah. things for sure. Like buying fancy coffins so you can bury them in the ground and the person turns to dust inside of it. No, thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm just saying that out loud because yes. I have strong feelings. You are allowed. Thank you. So one of the things that the Victorians lusted after Ooh. was a, quote, good Christian death. TM, TM, TM. So like TM. saving a child from like a bus fire or something? No. Oh. Although that something heroic like that uh, would yeah, definitely be obviously. cool. Obviously. Um, but there are a few requirements for your death in order to be a, quote, good Christian one. Uh, you should die with your eyes open, huh. bravely ready to face God and judgment. Okay. You should have parting words of wisdom perched upon your lips for your family who are surrounding you to witness your passing. This is something that always strikes me because I'm not surprised actually because Victorian era seems to be, if anyone was barely of note, they like took note of their like final words. Mm -hmm. And do you think that was weird when someone's like hanging out by your bed, like say your final words and you're like, "Uh, it is better to love and live in a good clean way and like great. And then you go like, Oh man, this sucks. And then you die. And like, should we write that one down? Well, because technically his last words were, "Oh man, this sucks." But who? Well, like like a lot of things, this is highly exaggerated because this is what the Victorians wanted. So that's what they told everyone that everyone had. Yeah, right? but so, probably most of the time it was like written down beforehand or a complete lie. Right. right? Exactly. Okay. Um, and also. This idea, this good Christian death, TMTM, uh, was simply just not available. Death was everywhere in the Victorian era. You could die from your crinoline catching on fire mm. or from cholera contamination or the arsenic in your wallpaper. Get hit or, by a horse-drawn carriage. Yeah, uh, like the earliest refrigerators exploding. or what? like oh, Totally. But uh, Punky Brewster told me the only danger was a child getting trapped inside a refrigerator because they didn't take the door off when they threw it away. Yes, today. Oh, okay. Because refrigerators are a completely closed system, but they actually had leaky refrigerators. Uh, you know what? YouTube it. Yeah. That was a special episode, by the way. It's not important. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I want? I want you to tell people my last words were, is that a bus? No matter how I die. <laughs> okay. No matter how I go out. Would you want to hear another joke? Yeah. Do you want to know how I want to die? How? I want to die at a nice old age, like 98 or 99, peacefully while skydiving. Thank you. Love it. So what normally happened, if you were not killed in some sort of accident, um, then it was disease, right? Uh, There certainly were people that died of old age, just kind of like went to sleep and never woke up. But um, you know, mostly it was long and painful, like pneumonia or kidney de- disease or heart disease or, you know. Or boogie fever. <laughs> or any I other. I thought that deserved better than that. No, it didn't. Oh, okay. Or <laughs> any other innumerous uh, diseases that nowadays people just get an antibiotic for. Yeah. Right? Oh, medicine, huh? Medicine. It's great. And the reason that the Victorians wanted this good death uh, actually stems from the 15th century. Um, the art of dying was recognized as the model for the ideal death. Um, but, you know, at the time, 
it was recognized. I mean, there was a, a bunch of skepticism about it, for sure. Um, but the idea really came to prominence in the 18th century during the Enlightenment uh-huh. um, because of the popularity of evangelicalism in sure. Victorian Britain. The Protestant Reformation has gotten rid of the Catholic idea of purgatory, right? Uh-huh. So there's no waiting room anymore. When you die, you either go up to heaven at the pearly gates, paradise, or you are plunged to the fire and brimstone of hell. Or you go sideways to Cleveland. Ah. Ah, sorry, a lot of jokes. Definitely makes me uncomfortable. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Um, okay, so then the idea was... I'm sorry, Cleveland. Listen, I am I live here in Cincinnati. We love the Cleve. I don't know why. That was my good... I'm so sorry. Um, the idea was you could make this choice to save yourself the last second before death mm. um, and your divine judgment, right? Um, and so... That's why the Victorians idealized this good death, right? It would uh, be slow enough to give you the chance to say goodbye, um, but fast enough to make sure that you could say your one last prayer. So let's call it what it is, a loophole. Yeah. Yeah, they believe this was a loophole. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so all of the, you know, the the media at the time uh, sort of like, it glorified this idea of people at the bedside. The yeah, one I mean, last that's breath. Still, that's what we see in movies and TV. Still to this day, right? Like that's a very common scene of the like sitting by, the, especially if you're doing a period drama. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even then, the like sitting by the bedside and like everyone knows it's coming, and they're right. like, "There's only moments left." How do you know that? Nosferatu, get out of here! Exactly, exactly. Um, and so. No, they lie. They lie Nostradamus a lot. Nostradamus is what I meant. You meant Nosfer- Nostradamus. I don't know if the vampire Nosferatu can sense the <laughs> Maybe time he of does. death. Hey, I'm not here on <laughs> official business. Just want to let you know that guy's about to die. Also, can I suck your blood? No. Oh, no. Nope. That's fine. Mm, nope. Mm, okay. Mm, mm, mm. So, like a good upstanding middle class Victorian family, you would make up the details for the obituary. You would broadcast to everyone mm. that there were, there was, it was a beautiful death scene and that um, all of their family was there to pay their last respects. And they die with a smile. They die the with a no, smile yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and suddenly he totally got the ending of lost. He understood <laughs> it completely. Uh, and, by the end of the Victorian period, people really started to come around on this and be like, that's that's fake. You guys are making that up. That's not how death actually happens. Um, but after a person takes their last breath is when the real dirty work happens in the Victorian era. And I can't wait to talk about it. But first, how about a thank you note for our sponsors? All right. Schmanders is sponsored in part this week by DoorDash. Thank you so much, DoorDash, for everything you do. Not just delivery food, which, don't get me wrong, is amazing, but also when I need toothpaste, when I need bread, when I need milk, all of those basics. Because, yes, listen, in these current days, food delivery has become more important than ever. But not just that, it's also grocery essentials with DoorDash, too. You can get drinks, snacks, other household items delivered in about under an hour. 
Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want it, and your items will be left safely outside your door with the contactless delivery drop-off setting. So for a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code SCHMANNERSPOD, all one word. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code SCHMANNERSPOD. Subject to change, terms apply. And we also want to say thank you to Zola for making weddings easier. Listen, weddings are inherently tough. Even if it's the happiest day of your life and everything goes perfectly, there's still so much planning to do, so many moving pieces I remember when we were planning for our wedding and it felt like we had to learn a thousand different things and become experts at all of these different things. Luckily, Zola is there to take care of those things for you. They're going to help you set up all of that stuff all in one place. Zola.com. It's one place to start and they've got your back for all your wedding needs. If you're looking for a wedding venue, Zola will give you personalized recommendations. Zola can help you create stunning save the dates, invites, and a matching wedding website. And all their planning tools are completely free to use, like a free wedding website that's home to your gift registry, which, by the way, comes with free shipping and returns. So if you're planning your wedding, start with Zola. I wish we had had Zola when we got married. Go to Zola.com slash today and use promo code SAVE50, that's save five zero for 50% off your save the dates. Zola is the one place to start for your wedding day. That's Zola.com slash Schmanners, code SAVE50. And speaking of weddings, we have a special personal message here. This message is from Jasper and Sam, and it's for Lindsay and Cole. Happy wedding day. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited for y'all. I hope that everything goes smoothly, and I hope that it's the best day of your life except for every day after that together. Well, hello, I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the host of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news, we got an expose, and all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. <gasps> well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, <laughs> you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, so first, they've beefed it. They've beefed it. First things first, you have to immediately stop all the clocks in the house. What? And because you are a good Victorian middle class, uh, middle to upper class family, you have a bunch of them because all the little knickknacks you love. Do you have to like stop them and like the last one you did, like reset them back a little bit so nope. they're on the same? They have to all, I mean, you're keeping them perfectly in time anyway. Yeah, but, right. but if I stop one, I got to go to the next one and stop. I can't flip the clock switch. Yeah, you got to run. You got to stop okay, them but all. but even then, I'm not the Flash, baby. Like, I'm going to have to do it. Do your best. But then do I set it back no. so it matches the others? It doesn't matter that it, that from room to room, it doesn't match exactly. What it matters is that you ran at the moment of death to go stop them because 
stopping, uh, there are a couple superstitions about this. The first mm-hmm. one is that stopping the clock is a way to allow the soul of the newly deceased to move on in the next life without being bound by the human concept of time. Sure. It was, sure. That's, this that's, notion yeah. was mm-hmm. accepted and done to prevent bad luck and hauntings. Okay. Um, and also it started uh, where... Also a good excuse to be late for work, huh? <laughs> well, uh, that's another one I'll get to in just a oh. second. Uh, to let a clock keep ticking after a person had passed away would invite the spirit of the deceased to remain in the home and haunt it. And it uh, allowed the spirit to begin a new period of his existence outside time and to pass into the afterlife where they belonged. Now, those are the spiritual things. The other part is... Uh, stopping your clocks allows the grieving to mourn the passing for as long as they liked without worrying about the time. Oh, okay. I get it. Was this the time period where you had to like mourn for like a year? Yeah. Oh boy. Um. So. And and I say, oh boy, everyone can mourn in their own time. There was like an official structured capital in yes. mourning yes. that you had to do for a year. Yeah. Um, and so next, after that, someone else in the house would have to cover all the mirrors. Right. Uh, because... So that your alternate cells didn't get out. You didn't want the person... What? The alternate cells? The alternate cells that live in the mirror? Yeah, the other person. You know. The person who's in there and does what I do? You know. You know what I'm talking about. So you wanted to make sure that the person's spirit didn't accidentally get caught in the looking glass. And it was because it was believed that your reflection in the mirror was a reflection of your soul. Yeah, well. Maybe that's why vampires don't have reflections. No, it's because they don't reflect light. And that's why they have such a hard time in the sun. You ever think about that? Oh, that's a good one. Because the light passes straight through them. So that mm-hmm, they burn because mm-hmm. it doesn't bounce off their skin because they don't reflect light. I'm just making oh. this up, but doesn't that make a lot of sense? Oh, you're just making it up. Well, I mean, hey, babe, spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. Everything about vampires is just made up. I guess that's true. Like, you looked at me like. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not canon. It's just your brain. There's no canon. Yes, there is canon. Based on what? They sparkle in Twilight. <laughs> okay. Well, then Twilight vampires do reflect light because you wouldn't be able well, to Well, they sparkle. also don't burst into flame. I haven't seen them or read it, but I don't No, they think... live in Portland, so they don't have- it's not, it's not a concern. It's not a concern. There's no direct sunlight. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. This is a good episode <laughs> so far. Very focused. I've never actually seen or read Twilight. No, me neither. The closest, okay. I've, come, <laughs> closest I've come is uh, on a long plane trip. There was a woman uh, two rows in front of me watching it. All Like all of them, if I remember, <laughs> at least two of them. And I like kept like looking over the seat because I'm always more interested in whatever anyone else is watching than me. And I would just kept ke- catching scenes and like, is that a baseball game? What's happening? What is I this hope movie? they really do live in Portland, but I don't know. I think they do. Or Seattle, one of those well, places. It would make a lot more sense for Portland, but I don't know. Anyway, you also would want to cover the mirror because it was t- said that the first person who saw the reflection in the mirror would be the next person to die. Then who who draws the short straw to cover it? Oh. Are they covering with their eyes closed? Maybe. A lot of broken mirrors at that point, I bet. Uh, but you didn't have a lot of time to worry about the mirrors because you also had to put a black wreath at the front of the house, like on the door where you would put so your you'd have to wreath. have that ready. Can you imagine if you caught pneumonia and then you looked over and you saw like your brother coming in with a black wreath and he's like, uh, I'm sure you'll 
be fine, but just in case, well, I want to be ready. You would always be ready. I guess that's true. Death lurks around every corner. Yeah, you oh, would just no. have one. Um, and visitors would take that as a sign to knock gently instead of making a terrible racket by ringing the bell. Yes. Okay. Do you think <clears throat> they ever put the black wreath out just because like somebody in the house was really hungover or something? <laughs> Oh, that does that go with the the legend about the wake? Maybe, maybe. Um, so, the next person who you would call would be the Undertaker. Mm, I love him. He's a great wrestler. Um, and it's it, oh yeah uh, okay, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of those in this episode. Yeah, like I said, <laughs> that makes it uncomfortable. Jokes and jokes and jokes. Um, and at the beginning of the Victorian period, uh, the undertaker was just the guy, and it was a guy, uh, who would come in with the casket and the other funeral accessories. Um, but later in the Victorian period, the funeral director, uh, this whole industry that sprang up around all of these customs, uh, would start to take on a more of a traditional mortician role. Um, because embalming started to take off during this period of time. Do you think, which do you think came first? The job title undertaker or like the like verb to undertake something? Mm. Yeah, do you think it's like, oh yeah, like you undertake that like the undertaker does? Or is it like, well, you're undertaking this procedure so you're the undertaker? And I've said it too many times and it's lost all meaning to me. We should move on. Um, at this time, there wasn't really like a funeral home. There wasn't really like morgues or anything like that. It's like, like a that. shed. It's like mm, a cool shed. No, mm-mm. it was done at home. Oh, the full service. They come to you. House calls, um, and you know, it was just starting to take off as far as like embalming goes, um, and you know, that's more stuff to sell to you. That's true. <laughs> uh, and, um, Always the upsell. They would usually do it right in the bed they died in, or if that wasn't if that was untenable, you'd move them to the kitchen table. Mm. And Gross. then a lot of Clorox. They didn't have that. Oh man! I mean, they did have ammonia. I would probably uh, just burn the table if it was oh, okay. me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and it it wasn't standardized. Everybody was kind of just like making up the idea of embalming. They kind of like had the gist of like, we're going to do something to keep this person in this physical state. Yeah. Right. Um, So sometimes it was just a ton of arsenic. Yeah. Well, at that point, it's not going to hurt them. That's true. Uh, but it might hurt the people around. Oh, sure, sure, sure. If you're doing it on the dining room table, I could see that having long-term effects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've talked about the other people and the, the what they do, but there is always usually a woman in the household uh, tasked with preparing the body to be prepared to be buried. Okay. Um, cotton wool, wet cotton wool was placed over the eyelids to keep them um, from shrinking. Yeah. Right? And uh, this is where we get the handkerchief tied around the jaw um, to keep their jaw in place until rigor mortis froze it because you didn't want a slack-jawed corpse. You wanted them to look You didn't want it to look like they were going, ah! (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, 
And uh, the person then would straighten their limbs uh, and wash their body with soap and water, all while keeping them like completely under the sheet, right? Because it would be indecent. Yeah, even in death. Even in death. Um, Then, after they were dressed uh, and all of the orifices were plugged? Yeah. Yeah. You said that very well, but you felt unsure the whole time. I I could tell, yeah. I did. Uh, Then they would be, you know, placed into a clean nightgown or whatever clothes you were going to be, they were going to be buried in. And then Um, you would tie them to ropes so you could still move them around so you could stay at their beach house for the weekend. mm -hmm. I know, I've seen the movie, Teresa. Yeah. Uh, and then they do their hair, their makeup, whatever. Isn't it wild that that was like a real movie that was released in theaters and did pretty well that basically was a two hour long just like desecration of a corpse? Yeah. Now granted, Bernie was not a good guy. <laughs> right? In the movie, he was. it was well established that I think he had invited Jonathan Silverman and Andrew McCarthy, wow, I know both their names, to come stay at his house and they were gonna be killed in his place, I think, and he got killed first. But still... They spent then a second movie too, just further desecration of corpse. Have I actually seen these movies? Oh, really? Haven't you? I wonder how you would react to seeing Weekend at Bernie's One and Weekend at Bernie's Two now, like in the year 2021, Anno Domine 2021. Because <laughs> I think I saw them like, you know, in like maybe 1991. Now, like 30 years later, would you be like, what? The f- <laughs> there's, there's some. Messed up stuff in there. Okay. Uh, we can't even talk about it on air. That's how messed up it is. I don't I don't think I want to watch it then. No, you don't. Okay, okay. Why right. did anyone want to? Okay. Now. And everything that the body touched, the bed linens, the sheets, whatever it was, would be burned. Yeah. I I mean, that makes sense to me. Especially with most people dying of disease. Indeed. Then uh as the the woman in charge of taking care of the person was uh, dismissed and the now funeral director or mortician took over, you would immediately send for the dressmaker, mm. uh, the tailor, because everyone needed to wear morning clothes now. Yes. Dark colors. Solid dark colors. Uh, black crepe. Black crepes. No. Crepe, crepe. Black crepe. Yes. Okay. So uh, you could be, you if you were of a certain social status, you would have them made specifically. Uh, and actually, this is about the time where the whole, few, like, morning clothes uh, meets department stores. And when you would go into a store, you would see a whole section just for it. Just for morning clothes. Um and I, Burlington big and sad. That's why I just thought <laughs> yep. in my mind. Yep, yep, okay. yep. Um uh you would be putting these on and you would remain in these clothes for uh, I'll talk about specific amounts of time. Um and then you would plan the funeral, handing out uh very sad cards to everyone invited. Um, and if you received these cards throughout your life, you were expected to keep a very sad scrapbook uh, of yeah. all these cards. Hey, when did Doug die? Wait, let me look. Ah, it was June. Indeed. And then you would start to accept the flower arrangements people would give you so that when they came to the funeral, 
in your home, it didn't smell like death. Mm, that makes sense. It smelled like flowers. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about these morning clothes that you had to wear. Okay. I'm, gu- I'm guessing long pants. I bet shorts were out. I mean, shorts were no wor- cargo shorts worn by um, young boys of a certain age. But okay, okay, with the extra pockets to hold all the grief. These morning clothes were basically marketed towards women um, because a lot of the times, uh, you know, especially widows, mm-hmm. right, um, had to do all of the specific etiquette so they could be seen as fine of standing citizens and then remarry because women don't have jobs. So you have to get money somewhere. Yeah. Um, So these outfits were dark and heavy, uh, made of wool or discarded silk. So like the silk offcuts you couldn't use for other dresses um, because they were treated with chemicals to make the fabric very matte and stiff and crinkly. Um, They were expensive and heavy and uncomfortable and smelly, right? Because they were bathed in arsenic and other harmful chemicals. Um, Crepe morning veils were known to cause acne, purple face stains from the dye, headaches, and in some cases, blindness. At some point... Somebody must have said, we should stop doing it this way, right? right? Uh, Because you wanted the clothing to not reflect any sunlight. Um, Okay. So, you know. Like a vampire. Yeah. Like like a vampire. You know, I bet that's what it was. You think it is? I I mean, yeah, maybe. That would make sense, right? To compare this idea of, like, wanting to keep all the sunlight away when someone has died and it being a part of, like, death and then it being like, oh, yeah, vampires uh, can't go out in the sun. It's got to be it, right? So Queen Victoria, when Prince Albert died, wore her mourning clothes for about 40 years. A long time. She had access to, you know, endless supply, right? Um, But most people— At a certain point, do you think it was just a prolonged goth phase? Maybe. Yeah, huh? may, maybe, maybe the first year was morning, and then she was like, I actually just think black's my color. <laughs> I mean, don't get me, I miss, I miss Albert, but I look great, right? Mm-hmm, 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 um, So a widow would be expected to mourn for two years, and this was broken up into two sections. Because there was full morning and half morning, right? Exactly, exactly. I listened to a lot of uh, detective novels set in the Victorian era, so there's a lot about death in there. Mm -hmm. Listen, I don't mean to brag, but I listen to books. (laughs) Um, And then, so the the most dedicated mourners would wear them for decades, of course, like I said, with Queen Victoria. Uh, But the first year was full mourning. that was if it was if you were a widow, right? If it was your husband died, except if they were killed in battle, right? right. Um, you you were given a little more leeway that way. Um, if you were mourning a parent, you had to wear for six months to a year. Uh, your sibling, six to eight months. Other relatives, three to six months of mourning. Can you imagine if it was like your stepbrother and you're like, ooh, what is that? Is that five? Four mm. months? Where am I at? Is it March? You got to do the math. Where am I at? It was my, okay, so it was my wife's cousin. What is that to me? Oh, no. Um, I don't know if it's good news, but if a child um, under three years old died, you only had to mourn for a few weeks. 
because it happened a lot. Oh, uh, child yeah. mortality rates were bananas at this point in time, and you had to get on with making more kids. Ugh, yeah. <sighs> Let's take a breath for a minute. <sighs> okay. During this period of full mourning, uh, you were expected to wear this awful getup and really only be visible to the people who lived in your home. You're supposed to isolate yourself from society. Um, and, you know, if you if you could afford that and not be seen in public, it wasn't just like, oh, that poor widow. It was like, that poor woman, I didn't know they were doing so well. Oh, it was about show off. It was kind of a show offy thing. Of thing. If you could be, a, if you were afforded a year to stay away from society, that meant that you had a lot of money. I see. Then, uh, half morning the next year, uh, you could now attend a widow's, could attend social events, and start to wear shades of gray and lavender as well. Um, like I said, if, uh, your husband was a military man, uh, this mourning period was usually cut about in half, uh, cause you had to get back out on the social scene and grab yourself another man. Yeah. Get a new bow. Indeed. I um, know, maybe is that just because like it was more honorable and it wasn't as, I mean, if you're the wife of a military man, you just kind of have to accept that as a possibility and it's not as tragic. I, I'm trying to make sense of why, I don't know, to encourage people to join the army. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think that it's pretty clear that a lot of the etiquette surrounding Victorian funerals is about showing Mm-hmm. your grief rather than feeling it. Um, well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. The idea that you could dictate the amount of time one way or the other, right? That like for a year you are inconsolable mm-hmm. and then for the next year, you're okay, right? It's like right. maybe it's someone who feels it forever. Maybe it's someone who wears it forever because they don't feel like remarrying. You know, maybe it's they didn't like their partner at all. You know, maybe who knows, right? Yeah. I think it's worth noting here, even though we're talking about, you know, Victorian era, what, 600, 700 years ago? <laughs> is that this idea of, I do think it's important to note, like, everybody grieves in a different way, right? Absolutely. And, I, I mean, it's good to talk to somebody. It's good to, like, you know, seek therapy or counsel if you can. But the idea of trying to, uh, like, s- like, structure, trying to, like, mandate what grief should look like is, mm-hmm. I mean, there was probably a lot of, like, detriment to that of someone going, should I feel worse than I do? Definitely, definitely. Um, a rather cool handicraft came out of uh, this time period, though. Um, hair jewelry was very oh, popular. I've seen these in museums. Indeed. Uh, well, because hair doesn't really decay, right? Um, if it, you know, everything but the root is pretty much how it's going to be Unless you burn it. Yeah. Um, So the wig makers, who previously were very busy making powdered wigs, those were no longer in style. So these wig makers... Now they liked unpowdered wigs (laughs) or cream-filled wigs. Indeed. It was like donuts. Did you get it? I did get it. I did get it. Um, 
they would start to make very elaborate things with these pieces of hair that you could keep forever as a memento. Sometimes like little dolls. That, you know, you dolls know, like arms or and heads and- little brooches with scenes on them or, uh, you know, you could make rings or necklaces like the pendants mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, it was, it's a very interesting little craft um, and it is incredibly detailed. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing. So those were very popular at the time. And, and, I mean, you can find them at antique stores and museums and things like that. Very cool. Speaking of very cool, this is a great episode. Thank you. Very spooky. Very spooky. We want to say a big thank you to Alex, Mm -hmm. our researcher without whom we would not be able to make this show. Oh, and Rachel, our editor, without whom we would not be able to make this show. And I'm very excited to tell you about a new project that I am executive producing which should be debuting Friday. Uh, what day is that? The 29th? This Friday? Today? When you're hearing this? Um, <laughs> it's a show called Chasing Immortality. And I think if you liked particularly this episode, you'll be interested in it. Uh, Chasing Immortality is a uh, narrative a single voice episodic show that doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's histor- <laughs> How descriptive of you. Yes. It's true historical stories about people who tried to find ways to cheat death. Uh, it is narrated by Tybee Diskin. It is written by Alex Rouse, our researcher. It is produced by Alice Flanders and music by Doug Borntrigger. Um, and it is spooky and funny and at times chilling. And, and informative. And informative. Uh, it's really, really cool. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it. We're releasing it independently. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really, really proud of it. You can follow uh, the show on Twitter and Instagram at ImmortalityPod. Uh, and I am building the website right now. Uh, chasingimmortalitypod.com. Check it out. Uh, speaking of, you should also check out MaximumFun.org, home to a lot of really great shows, including Schmanners. Yeah. That's the show you're listening to right now. Check it out. Also check out McElroy.family. There's awesome stuff coming up there. Go look at it. Go do it. <laughs> and you know what I'm also going to say? Just because, I, I don't know, we don't have any cool adult parties to go to because we have two kids. <laughs> if you dress up in a Halloween costume, you should tweet it at Trainers Cast. Let us see your Halloween costumes. Let us pretend like we get to hang out with adults. <laughs> what else, Teresa? We always thank Brent, Brentle Floss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Thank you to Kayla and Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art at Schmanners Cast. Uh, when we do topics that we ask for um, top uh, questions from our listeners. That's where we get them from. Um, also, thank you to Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. Join that group if you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans. And that's going to do it for us, so join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.